and welcome to Christ the King on this Easter morning. The text that we'll be considering is Luke chapter 24. Please turn in your service leaflet to that passage. I'll make three observations from this passage and uh, Simple outline, we'll look at the women who went to the tomb, we'll look at a picture of them before they had the discovery at the tomb, the discovery of the empty tomb. We'll consider what happened while they were there, and then we will consider what they were like after. So a before, a during, and an after. For each point, I'll pick one word from our passage, and we'll think about that one word with a little bit more attention. So, the women before the tomb, what was their state, what was their like? And the word that I want us to focus on is the word perplexed, verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Perplexed. You, I'm sure, are aware that the, the Bible was not written in English, it was written in Greek. And sometimes it's helpful to go back and think and look at what the original language was, and that has been the case for this word perplex. So first, let me define it. Uh, you are probably aware that the way you negate a word in, in uh, Greek is to add an alpha. Right? So a theist is the opposite of an atheist, in the same way we would say happy is the opposite of unhappy. So the little a turns a word around. There's a simple word, it means to head out to a destination, to be going that direction, I'm heading to home, I'm heading wherever, but it's to set out with a destination. That's the Greek word poreo, very common word, shows up all over the place. Now if you put an alpha in front of that, you get the opposite. To poreo means to head in a direction, to have a destination in mind, but a poreo means to be lost. <laughs> the direction that you thought you were headed has completely disappeared, it's vanished. You are perplexed, and that is in fact the word that we have here. Apareo, they are perplexed, they are at a loss. Why are they at a loss? At a loss. Here's why. Because they set out with a destination in mind. They went to the tomb like we would go carrying flowers. They came to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus, and what they expected to find was not what they found. He was not there. They had a direction, now that direction is gone, and they are lost. No reason to limit their sense of perplexity to the, just that one moment, though. I think it's safe to assume that the past week had been, if anything, perplexing. Uh, they came, Jesus came into the, the, the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, was received with shouts of Hosanna. And I'm sure these women had some pretty clear ideas. This is great. Our leader is being hailed as the anointed leader. And... Lo and behold, those hopes evaporated, and the destination to which they were headed was gone. It just vanished, and the crowd's calls of Hosanna on one day turned to calls of crucify him on the next day. And so, they were not only perplexed here, this is just one moment of perplexity and a whole string of perplexing moments. They had lost their way. I wonder if you can resonate. I wonder if you've ever set out on a destination only to have that destination change, move, disappear, or something else. I have a small, silly example from about 40 years ago. Uh, Easter morning, I woke up, and in my Easter basket, I found the largest chocolate Easter bunny I'd ever seen. One foot tall, eight inches wide. I, there was enough chocolate in that Easter bunny to last me for 
I would never need to go to 7-Eleven again. However, you know the cruel fact about these large chocolate Easter bunnies, and that is they're hollow. And so I took one little nibble of that chocolate Easter bunny and only to have hopes evaporate. The destination to which I headed was headed was gone. A small example, but I imagine you do not have to think very hard, and I do not think have to think very hard to come up with instances when I thought, that's where my life is headed, only to have poof, gone. That's the house for me, that's the job for me, that's the person for me, that's the whatever for me, and then that whatever it was for me is gone. And it leaves them with a state of perplexity. I had a direction, and now that direction is gone, and I am at a loss, and I am perplexed. That is what these women felt on Easter morning, and I imagine all of us have had moments of perplexity. If not currently, then certainly don't have to look very far in the past, nor anticipate very far in the future. Perplexity is a part of life. What do you do in your moments of perplexity? Great question. Let's see what the women did. To our second point and our second word, what happened at the tomb? The first word is perplexed. It describes their before state. The second word I want us to consider is they remembered. A very important word. Uh, where the angels tell them, uh, tell Mary and, and the others, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, etc. And then verse 8, the shortest verse in the passage, and I think probably the most important verse. A few short words. They, the women, remembered what he said. I think if you're looking for a main point, Circle that one. They remembered what he said. Let's think about that word remember. A little definition may help us. When we say remember, we typically think facts. I remember facts. I remember the multiplication table. Where did I put my car keys? Oh, I remember. I put them who knows where. When the Bible says remember, and it says remember a lot, matter of fact, uh, Peter, who preached on Monday, Thursday, reminded us that the command to remember is the most common command in the Bible. The Bible is not telling you remember some facts. Not telling you not to remember facts, but it's simply saying the facts are part of remembering. Let me explain. Uh, back in Genesis, you probably know the story of Noah. Noah's on the water, there's been a flood. And in Genesis chapter 8, we read, God remembered Noah. That does not mean God was thinking, where did I put Noah? Oh, I remember, I put him in the boat. That is if we would remember where we put our car keys. No, the verse goes on, God remembered Noah and he sent a strong wind to blow back the water and rescue. So God not only remembered, when it says that God remembered him, God remembered the actions that accompanied remembering him. He remembered the importance of remembering. Another example, all throughout the Bible, we have the hope that God will remember our sins no more. Very common hope. What does that mean? Does that mean that God's going to look down at me and think, huh, Glade, David, he's not such a bad guy anymore. I've forgotten about his sinfulness. No, that is not what it means. It means that God will not treat me, treat you according to your sinful. He will remember your sins no more. It means he won't act upon what is true of us. Follow? The women remembered. 
They remembered his words. They remembered what he said. And what is the implication of remembering what he said? The implications of remembering what he said are this, that Jesus' words are utterly trustworthy and reliable. Jesus said, I will be betrayed. He was betrayed. Jesus said, I will be crucified. He was crucified. Jesus said, I will rise again, and he rose again. Jesus promised the impossible, and on Easter morning, he delivered the impossible. His words are reliable, and that is what the disciples must come to realize. Easter is important for any number of reasons in the Christian faith. Easter is the validation of our hope that life continues past the grave. Easter is the assurance of our forgiveness. Absolutely. But here, the point of this passage is that Easter validates the promises of Jesus. His words are reliable. You can trust them. Therefore, in your moments of perplexity, what are you to do? You are to do like these women did. You are to remember the words of Jesus. And by the way, if you're ever wondering what you should do, always look to the women of the gospel and the gospel stories. They're always doing the right thing, especially if their name is Mary. Men, not so much. The men are almost always doing the thing you want. They're the negative example. Don't do what they're doing. Do what the women did, and they remembered Jesus. That means when you are stressed about your finances, when you are wondering when the next paycheck will come to pay for the next bill, you should remember and with confidence know that the Lord knows that you need these things. Do not run after them. But you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be gathered unto you. That is what he said and his word is trustworthy. When you stand where these women stood at a grave, you should grieve not without hope. Well, you should grieve with hope. Why? Because Jesus said, I go to my Father's house, and I will prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And that is what he said. And his words are reliable, and you can trust them. When you are burdened by the difficulties of life, you should trust that Jesus will help you carry them because he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, his words are reliable, and you can trust them. And that, in Easter, is the validation of the trustworthiness of the words of Jesus. Remember what he said. The famous evangelist, Billy Graham, um, apparently went through moments of perplexity in his life, moments when he didn't know quite what to do. Uh, and his wife, Ruth Graham, was a bit of a firecracker. And Ruth would say, when Billy was perplexed, Ruth would tell him, Billy, you need to stop focusing on the problems, and you need to start focusing on the promises. Which sounds nice. It sounds a little bit like a bumper sticker, doesn't it? Nice to say in church, hard to, hard to apply. But look, listen to how Billy eulogized his wife. His wife passed away before him. And this is a quote from his uh, eulogy of her. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all of creation will separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is from the book of Romans. Weeks before my death, writes Billy, Ruth repeated these verses over and over. This was her secret for getting through so much of life with joy. She never focused on the problems. She always turned her attention to Christ. In other words, Ruth, like the women at the tomb, remembered what he said. Before, they were perplexed. During, they remembered. What about after? So far, our story has a great arc, doesn't it? They started down, perplexed. They realized something, they remembered. And now we may expect they go on from glory to glory. All their perplexity was just fade, faded into the background. That is not what happened. I want to draw our attention to the third word. And our third point, how were they assessed after? And they were assessed as being foolish. Said more clearly, they were assessed as fools. And I reference here the word idle talk. These words seem to them as an idle tale. Now, again, a little definition, that word idle tale, that's the same word that's used to describe the babbling that would come from the delirious. So someone sick, someone drunk, someone unable to string a coherent sentence together, this is the same word. In other words, the apostles, upon hearing the report from the women, didn't think, huh, that's interesting, let me explore. They dismissed it as idiocy as the babbling talk of a fool. Perplexed before? Remembered during? They were counted as fools after. In the book Brothers Karamazov, there is a character named Alyosha. And Alyosha is a, he's a bit of a saint. He has a simple faith. The book starts with him in a monastery. He's a person of profound integrity. And his faith is so, well, he just comes across as a simpleton, as naive, as a fool. And this is a character that shows up often in Dostoevsky's writing, the character of the fool. And Dostoevsky had a point. His point is that those people who do what those women did, those people who did what Ruth Graham advised her husband to do, those people who did what Alyosha did and remember the words of Jesus and act as if they are true, they will appear as fools. Said simply, holiness will often be construed as foolishness. It's always been that way. There was a man who had a briefcase. On one side of the briefcase, he had this, these words, I am a fool for Christ. And he would go on the, on the, on the subway and place that, that briefcase down prominently so all could see it. Plenty of passerbys and notice this arresting phrase, I am a fool for Christ. And uh, when he got up, he turned that briefcase around. And on the other side of the briefcase, he'd written these words. So whose fool are you? <laughs> I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? His point is, you're always going to look foolish to somebody. 
follow the ways of the Lord, you're going to look foolish to the world. Follow the world, you'll look foolish to the Lord. Who's fool are you going to be? And that's how our story ends, with fools for Christ. And friends, we could use a few more fools. When we encounter perplexity, our, my natural impulse is to first complain, then gripe, then problem solve, then try to forge a way if I can't find a way, and then maybe at a last resort I'll think, huh, I wonder what the Lord has to say about this particular perplexity. And we get it backwards. Remember what he said. Let me conclude. Jesus said he would be betrayed, and Jesus was betrayed. Jesus said he would be crucified, and Jesus was crucified. Jesus said he would rise again, and Jesus rose again. He promised the impossible, and he delivered the impossible. His promises are good. They were then, they are now. No matter how foolish his promises may look to you or to others. So, in the moments of your, of your perplexity, when you, like these women, have lost your way, do what they did. Remember what he said.